Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Welcome to Melody Podcast. I'm Ethan Lund. And I'm Clint Wells. And I'm Kurt Ozon. Kurt Ozon is here. Give it up welcome for Kurt. Welcome to the podcast, or I should say, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I've been on before, so it's cool to be on here Well, last you time you were on the show, two years ago or something, it was the digital version of you. It was over Zoom. Right. And uh, so we're, we're on the road with Luke Combs. We're doing some more shows here. And uh, our good friend Kurt Ozon, we've been we're, saying it wrong this all Kurt these years. Ozon is here, and we're in Bangor. 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 Yes. Bangor, man. Bangor. I was saying Bangor, man, earlier, and Kurt was like, hey, are you doing that on purpose? I'm like, right. no. You, didn't you go to school up here? Uh, no, it's school in Boston, but I've played here before. I th- thought earlier at lunch, were you pulling my leg? Uh, no. I did date a girl from here, though. Maybe that's, that's what, what you're is. thinking that's of. almost the same thing as going to school That's here. like going to school, yeah. Right. It was an education. We'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so people will remember Kurt is our friend who plays for Luke Combs. What, how do you describe your role with Kurt? Because you do several different things. Are you technically a utility player? Are you the guitar player? Are you the pedal steel player? What do you do? Um, I guess some people in, in town call it like utility, where I'm just kind of like the Swiss Army knife of the band, and I play a bunch of different instruments. So. Right. Which is huge. I mean, in a town like Nashville, especially I feel like over the last 10 years, if you, I mean, this came up in our band with you being able to hop in on drums when right. we needed you to do it. And like you've popped in on bass as well when we've needed a bass player. And so even Kurt has played bass for Morgan Wade before. Give it John, up for Kurt and playing bass. Where's yeah. my clap track? Yeah. <laughs> but don't you feel like more than ever being able to be diverse is kind of like, it's, it has more currency than I think it ever did. I think... I think 10, 15 years ago, and especially when I think about like rock guys in the 90s, think about a, think about a band like Semisonic. All right, if you're the bass player for Semisonic, Dan Wilson wrote a big old fat hit, you're just the bass player. You're not in your fucking dressing room programming drums and learning other instruments and getting good at photography. You're just the bass player in a rock band. Right. You're doing fine. Yeah, these, you're just playing eighth notes. These days, you have to have two or three podcasts. <laughs> you're shuffling eighth notes. You're getting paid the same to play one note at a time. That's right. But these days, your people are in podcasting. You do all your photography stuff. You play multiple instruments in a big band. It seems like that's what it's evolved into a little bit, mm-hmm. is being able to be good at lots of different things. Has it always been that way? I, I mean, I know for me, like, I, I just grew up playing multiple instruments. You know, my dad taught me guitar. Another friend gave me some pointers on but drums. But I'm talking about in the industry. Right. The, the significance of being able to do that in the industry. Like, if Semisonic Space Player was like, hey, I play keys, too. Dan Wilson's like, we don't need keys. Right, yeah. We're playing closing time. I need you to play the bass. Yeah. He's like, well, I got this cool radio show. Don't need it. Don't need it, yeah. In fact, how much time is that taken away from you shoveling those eighth notes? Because that's what we need you for. I think a lot of what, at least for me, when podcasting came in, photography or whatever, as far as being in this world, it, maybe you're the same way. It was just something else to do while on the road. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm out here, you know. Like When I first went real deep into photography, I was on Warp Tour, and I play for 30 minutes a day. So I would just spend my time doing that kind of stuff, honing these other crafts and... Sometimes it you know comes in handy on the road and taking pictures from other bands, but was that the case for you? I made a conscious decision at one point when I realized that my band in high school was never going to be famous because like, we weren't good. <laughs> uh, that <laughs> not I, always a prerequisite for fame, though. That's true. I guess I knew that I wasn't going to pay my bills with our band, and so you know I went to college for music, and then I decided then I have to figure out how to make myself marketable so that I can make money playing music. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started like learning different styles of music and then eventually learning different instruments. Yeah, it just dawned on me, one of my favorite things about Kurt is you've heard him say, well, I went to school in Boston. And then you just heard him say, well, I went to school for music. He ain't saying I went to Berkeley College of Music, which is <laughs> right. one of the most prestigious music schools in the country. And I know lots of people, here's how I'll put them into two different categories. I wonder if you've seen this too is my friends like Rachel Loy, who are just badass motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. I would put you in a badass motherfucker category, by the way, Thank Kurt. You. 
hardly ever like name drop Berkeley. But then there's right. a subset of people that are real eager to let you know that they got a piece of paper from the Berkeley College of Music. I went to Berkeley School of Music. Exactly. I think that in Nashville, at least, that it has either a positive or a negative connotation depending on who you talk to or what experiences you've had because I definitely thought I was like good at guitar and then now I know like I'm terrible at guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, coming out of school, it was like lots of practicing and and writing and blah, blah, you know, studying and all this and that. But it wasn't like a lot of like actually gigging. You know, the music scene in Boston is terrible. And the only gigs I was doing was like wedding bands and stuff. Right. It wasn't like playing on artist gigs or anything like that. And um, so there was definitely like a de that happened when I moved to Nashville and yeah. started actually playing. Right. It was like, oh, like I have to like memorize people's songs because they don't just want me to improvise jazz licks over everything. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's like I have to like do my homework. Yeah, your like, 25 hours of taking composition classes didn't really apply to right. learning the Nashville number system. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and definitely like the guys in my band, that are, they're Luke's band, I should say, not my band. Um, it's the Kurt, Kurt yeah. Ozon band. <laughs> Featuring Luke Combs. Yeah. Half, <laughs> half of us are like, you know, like the drummer went to some music school and, but then like Tyler, um, just had been playing in bars since he was 16 has just been went to the school of hard knocks so it's kind of like he always pokes if i say oh yeah like when i lived in boston he's like what school did you go to yeah. he like makes me say it i'm yeah. like berkeley and he's we, like boo give it up for the school of hard knocks by the way for real yeah it doesn't get enough love because that's where you really learn like i i came from the same deal bar bands when i was 16 i was playing with guys that were 10 15 years older than me they taught me how to do it and then i don't know what tyler's experience like but mine was a cover band and so we played four hours a night and we played every big rock song. And I did that for 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, like that's how I learned like the two things, the two ways that I think I learned how to write songs and play guitar well in a lot of different styles is cover bands. And when I was a kid, I had a four track Taz cam, like mm -hmm. cassette recorder. I had that too. And I re-recorded hotel California just bit by bit. So I would record three tracks. I would do the 12 string part do the harmony part and then I would have to bounce all those to one track. Right. And that, I think that's how I learned like what harmony was like. I didn't, I was just learning it out of a tab book, you yeah. know? And I was like, fuck, this is how you write a song. You know, they don't teach that. Do in you Berkeley. still have that recording? Probably. I found an old recording. I was telling Ethan of me doing inner Sandman instrumentally. And I found a version of me singing champagne supernova. How was that? Real bad. Well, well I'm here to tell our listeners that we have exclusive and this is an exclusive Clint Wells, Hotel California. You know what? That's, <laughs> that's great. That's actually better than my version of Hotel California. <laughs> Dude, Hot Summer Nights is going to win a Grammy compared to that. That's right. What were some of the uh, records you were listening to when you were a kid learning to play guitar? I'm so glad that you asked that. Um, I, I think everyone has that moment when they're kids where they, oh, music is cool and... I'm going to pick what I like and this is kind of, you know, who I am or whatever as a kid. And I was just listening to like pop shit all the time. Like I remember like my first records were, I had a Spice Girls record that my uncle bought me. Okay. I had a, I had not the single, but the Cisco album. Right. You like the deep cuts. So you weren't just the thong song guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you don't know who Cisco is, he sang the thong song and I had some, I don't know. And then, like, I my first two records that I bought for myself were No Doubt, Tragic Kingdom, yeah. and Melancholy Infinite Sadness. Oh, dude. I've been on a pumpkin's kick. Yeah. I'm trying to just real quick, just to camp out for one second. I'm trying to imagine the thought, the flow chart of your uncle in Walmart looking for his nephew, Kurt, who he is probably a 14 year old kid that's into rock music. He's like, what's he do? Do I get him? And he gets, oh, I wasn't spice. into rock music. You were just yet. into like I was radio. Just a kid, you know? He, my uncle's like, he's a huge music fan. He's the biggest Beatles fan ever. I've no, he would always just mail me like cassette tapes of mixtapes of like, it would be anything from like rap to rock or any, you know, whatever in between. So this was just one of the many records that he sent me. He was like, Kurt, tell me what you want uh, to get for your birthday. And you're like, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really, really want. want. Is there a laugh track in there anywhere? Uh, of course there's a laugh track. He's scrambling. <laughs> but anyway, so my parents, bless their hearts, and I also had like a Bone Thugs record yeah. and East 1999, East 1999 Eternal, I'm guessing. 
the, the one with Crossroads on it, yeah. whatever record that is. <laughs> and my parents were, as long as it wasn't too profane, you know, um, they were like, it's cool. And then eventually my mom was like, hey, like, that's all cool. And I'm glad that you're enjoying that. But she, my mom bought me the Black Album and was like, hey, you need to learn how to play some of this stuff. I would love if you could play like Nothing Else Matters. You know, because I just started playing guitar, you know, I was like 10 or something. And I probably got that record when I was maybe a little bit later, like 12 or something. And my brother's a huge Metallica fan. He's seen him like 15 times or something out in Texas. And so I got this record and I was like, oh, cool, thanks. And like, I didn't really listen to it. My best friend that lived across the street, Mark, um, was like, hey, if you're not going to listen to that, can I listen to it? I was like, sure. And then he started listening to it, and then we hung out all the time. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is really fucking awesome. My CD sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. So then we split our money up, and we, my mom drove us to Blockbuster CD. Or oh, they had, a block, they had a chain of Blockbuster music stores. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then so I bought, I bought Justice and Ride the Lightning, and he bought Kill Em All and Puppets. Mm, okay. And then so we would share. And so we had Did all. the same thing. And then eventually I got reload and he got load. I think one of the reasons that I have such an affinity for lightning is because I did the same thing with my best friend. He got puppets and I got lightning. And the plan was to like switch every month or something. Right, yeah. And that was just mine. I, I just felt like my identity got glued to lightning. Yeah, I definitely think like I'm, I feel a lot more like familiar with, even though I've listened to all the records so many times, but like lightning and kill, um, and justice are like the records like I feel. Those are my top two. Yeah. Number three is reload. I love reload. And load also, but he hates Master of Puppets. By the way, <laughs> yeah, right. That's up there, but um, <laughs> but sometimes I, when I listen to Puppets, even though I've listened to a hundred times, I find myself finding little things more just because I've listened to the other ones more. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, sure. I think well, Puppets is more intricate. There's, I think there's more to to mine out. Lightning is kind of still garagey. Yeah, there's a, a garageness to it still for sure. They they, they, had, they had stepped it up. Obviously, the songwriting got way better. Songwriting, production, arrangements, all Can that. You stuff. imagine going? I mean, not that Seek and Destroy and Four Horsemen aren't great songs, but to go from Kill 'Em All with you know No Life Till Leather, Metal Militia, we're gonna right. kick some ass tonight to Fight Fire with Fire, Fade to Black, Creeping Death, yeah, Call of the song Ride the Lightning, right? Big jump, huge jump. One of the biggest jumps I think ever, like from a sophomore record mm-hmm, for sure. What are your favorite sophomore albums? What are the best albums in your mind that were the second album for a band? Ride the Lightning. <laughs> Duh. I have no idea. We were talking about this the other day. I feel like it was like some of the best like debut records was like Appetite or yeah. some mm-hmm. Van Halen one. Yeah, I put I put STP Core up there. Yeah, that's their, that's their first record. Yeah, yeah, that's their first record. Yeah, and that's a great first. They record. came out fully formed. And yeah. speaking of great sophomore releases, Purple, Purple, yeah, that's their second record. That even the deep cuts could have been hits. Love that record. Yeah, I love that band. So did you did you put the Spice Girl album away, or did they both exist in the same world? Oh for you? no, when I started playing guitar, and it was like all the music that I started listening to was guitar driven. So mm-hmm. then it was like all the Nirvana stuff and Green Day and all that. And right. then and the Metallica stuff, which I couldn't play for a while. Did you ever learn Two Become One by the Spice Girls on guitar? Uh no, I did not. I mean Which was your favorite Spice Girl? Uh I guess Baby. Is that the blonde one? That's that was the blonde, the blonde one. one. Yeah. I think she was the best looking one. I think wasn't she like the yeah, prettiest one? I'm gonna have to go with Ginger Spice on that one. Yeah. Oh yeah, true. And then of course there was Posh Spice. Posh Spice, yeah. I guess they were all pretty good looking, right? That they was were all the great point. looking. Scary Spice. <laughs> They're yep. sporty spicy. Sporty though. spice. Yeah, let's go shoot some hoops. Shoot. No problem. Speaking of, there's a basketball hoop right by the bus. Are we going to ball out later? Yes. Heck yeah, dude. So um, maybe we need to get the drum roll ready because a little birdie told me that Kurt Ozon had something special to tell us. Are we building it up too much? Uh, Yes, Uh, but uh, I do. um, (laughs) All right. So the other day, my dad, um, he's like, hey, I got some of these home movies digitized. Mm -hmm. And And it's like all my band from high school. And I was going through, and it's hilarious because it's like a DVD loading screen with you know video. It's like <laughs> nice. so retro and fun. But um, and so I was going through and watching them, and one of them was us playing "Turn the Page." Okay, very cool. Yeah, and uh, obviously I only knew that song because of Garage Inc. But um, were you on saxophone or no? I was playing slide guitar. Okay, which well. I had no idea how to do. I still don't, even though I do it professionally. But <laughs> you do it in front of seventy thousand people. I'm getting better, but I you thought, sync up great to the live tracks, man. Yeah, right. 
Um, but I thought it'd be fun to we could let's let's listen to it later. Maybe we could throw a clip on here. Okay, sure. I would really love to listen embar- to it later. Yeah, really embarrass me. It'd be fun. Yeah, that sounds similar to me finding that Inner Sandman video because I heard it. I found this tape and it said Matt and Clint play guitar. He was my buddy to play guitar. Yeah. And you hear the beginning go, 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 go. And one of us had a fucking chorus pedal on, yeah. first of all. Because I remember when I got a chorus pedal, it was like the only pedal I could afford after a DS1. And guess what happens when you can only have two pedals? Yeah, that every, chorus pedal's on everything. Everything's on. a nail when you only have a hammer. <laughs> Damn, okay. Dang, dude, jeez. Well, after that intro, it goes downhill real quick. But you know what? It was the best we could do. And I think, I wonder if you're 14, how old were you when this band was together? Was it like 14, 15, 16? Yep. I feel like there's something so important about getting it under your fingers and it kind of sounds like the record that you mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that it starts to empower you to be like, I can do this. Yeah. I, I remember the moment that happened to me for the first time. A couple of weeks ago. Yes. And That's right. it was uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I went, you know, bom, 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 right. bom, and I was like, oh my God, it really does sound like that. Right. I can do that. I'm doing the same thing that the other Kurt is doing. Right. It was just like a mind blowing moment that I'll never forget. <laughs> you guys are the two Kurt's. Yeah. You and two the Kurt's. other Kurt. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also, in the first time I played with the drummer, we played Brain Stew. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like and the drummer went, you know, boom. And I was like, this. He put the snare right where it was in the record. Right. And I was just like, holy. Sh- God, oh my. That God. Bl- that blow it really does blow your mind when you're a young musician and you're, and you're learning stuff and you're getting close to the record. That's where like the puzzle pieces start to come together where you're like really it's training your ear to, to hear the right thing, hear the wrong thing. It's super exciting when you learn those riffs and then you play with other people together. And, it's and like, you're oh my God. And you're in the lineage. I mean, like Billy Joe Armstrong did the same thing. Yep. For him, it might have been a Joe Strummer record or Clash right. or whatever. He did the same shit when he was a kid. Yeah. Oh, this sounds like Rock the Casbah. Or <laughs> yeah, what, for sure. Or whatever he was listening to, you know. Um, I remember the first time I remember the first time my friend Matt I remember when I understood this concept where we had so what we would do is we would go home and we would say hey learn these five songs and when we get together for band practice we had to know them Mm -hmm. and if it was Metallica we would like on the phone divvy up all right you I always got like the first solos to like sanitarium faded by because I was not as good as he was right he would always rip the shit at the end. And I remember, uh, we, this is an embarrassing song. This isn't very cool, but we were we, one of the songs we agreed to learn was all mixed up by 311. Oh, no big deal. And I remember uh, I learned it from like Tab. I got on HarmonyCentral.com and got the Tab. And I learned it. And when I went to his house, I was playing a B flat, but I was playing it on the first and third frets. Mm-hmm. And he was playing it on six and eight, but the two strings up. Right. And I remember same notes, but different. Yeah. We'll see. But I and he was always the one who knew more than me. And I thought it was. I thought I finally got him. I said, Hey, man. You're playing it wrong. Yeah. And he was like, no, I'm not. It's a B flat. And I was like, dude, a B flat's one in three. And he was like, you you know, we were hard on each other, dude. This yeah, is Alabama yeah. in the fucking 90s. He was like, listen. And he went, he played them in both positions. And I was like, what? I just didn't connect it. He was like, sure. It sounds the same. This is this is the same chord. This chord are these three notes. You're mm-hmm. just playing them in a different position. And I felt <laughs> like shit, but he would, exactly. But he was like, that's how you piece all that dumb yeah, stuff together, sure. you know? Yeah. I remember when I got a wah and I was playing everything. I was playing the intro to Pearl Jam's Alive with a wah. Yeah. And that same guy goes, dude, you don't have to turn the wah on. Don't, don't put a wah on the intro to Alive. Right. He was right. He was right. But you have to, you have to figure that out for yourself. You got to fall down before you can get back up again. Socrates. That's right. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm just going to start saying Socrates after I have everything. no idea if that was Socrates. It just sounded Can we good. change it to Socrates? <laughs> so, so, dude, Socrates. <laughs> Well, that's cool, dude. I would actually like to see you playing because that's a little Kurt out there. Could you imagine telling him what you're doing now? You think he would? What do you think he would say? I think about this actually pretty frequently. Um, and like the other day, I was at a bar and they had the music video music videos on that match the songs that are playing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And one of them was a Luke song, and I was in the music video. It's for "Beard Never Broke My Heart" and I'm playing banjo in it. And I was like, man, that's so cool. I'm in a music video that's playing in a bar. Like, I was just like, right. I don't know, kind of proud of myself, I guess. And I just thought it was really cool. I think you should be. And I think for people, we didn't really properly introduce this, but Luke Combs, who you play for and who we're out touring with, is definitely top three, top five touring acts right now. Oh, yeah. And the shows we've been doing this year have been like sold out stadiums. So I would definitely be proud of that. I remember when I first got to town, one of the first recordings I did was with Griffin House at Sound Emporium. And they had just done that, um, 
the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack there. Right, yeah. Like T-Bone Burnett was producing there in Benmont Tinch. I played keys on one of the songs, and it was the piano that Benmont played on. And I remember uh, that was right before I moved to town. Moved to town. I'm with my girlfriend at the time, my now wife. We're driving to like Ugly Mugs or something, coffee mm-hmm. shop. And one of the songs from that album came on Lightning 100. Yeah. And it starts with this really chimey acoustic thing that I did. And I was like, fuck, that, that's that, me that's on me. Lightning 100, you yeah. know? And you know how we all know Lightning 100, they, they play the local boys. They, they play the local shit. Yeah, sure. It's not like it was playing in the L.A. Right, yeah, but it's still exciting. It's like the scene from That Thing You Do when they first hear the song on the radio and they Dude, start freaking exactly. out running down the street, you know? I thought about that scene, you know? Yeah. Like so many of those moments, I think, are so important for musicians. And I think when you lose that, you've, you've lost something important. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm definitely very happy and very thankful to get to have a career in music for sure. But um, I was thinking, because you asked, like, what would you tell your younger self? Mm -hmm. And there's no way I would have ever believed it if you told me that I was, like, playing banjo, (laughs) like, in a music video or on a record or on a tour or anything. It was just, I didn't listen to country music at all growing up. Pedal steel. Yeah. And now that's, like, I play so much of that stuff and I love it. I just was, my parents were rockers, so that's kind of, like, what I grew up. Did you have to go back and, and in my experience, most of the guys like us who were rockers that found ourselves in this world, we just apply what we learn from those records. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, I started playing country music in Nashville about 10 years ago. And I think I did maybe go beef up some of those chops just to make sure, you know, I made sure I had a Telecaster. Like I learned about compression pedal. Like I learned how to kind of get there. But I've mostly been just been relying on what I learned on my favorite rock records. Yeah. Did you go like investigate country music? to make sure that you could do the job or I did, but not because of any like reason, like for a job or anything, just because it was just what I was into at the time. Yeah. So what happened is I graduated college, Berkeley college of music and <laughs> in Boston, give it yes. up for Berkeley college of music. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe y'all have heard of it. And, but, and I was working in this restaurant, delivering food and wasn't doing shit. And I went to my guitar teacher. I was still studying with him afterwards. This guy named Kevin. He's so good at guitar. Kevin Sorbo. Uh, yeah. Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> Give it up for Hercules, dude. <laughs> and he, I was like, man, like, I don't know, like, what should we work on or whatever? He's like, man, your touch on the guitar is not good. <laughs> and you need to go play acoustic guitar. Do you ever play acoustic guitar? And I was like, I think I own one. I never, <laughs> I don't never play acoustic guitar. And so I went on Facebook back when people would use Facebook and I wrote, Hey, who are some good acoustic guitar players to check out? And my buddy's dad wrote Doc Watson. And so I went on YouTube and I typed in Doc Watson and I immediately like fell in love with his music and his playing. And I heard that song Shady Grove with the Clawhammer banjo. And it was like in a minor key. I was like, this is like metal bluegrass or something. Right. And, um, so I just dove headfirst into bluegrass. I got obsessed with it. And that's when I started playing banjo because I wanted to copy the banjo on the Doc Watson stuff, the claw hammer stuff. And then it the, turns out Boston has a cool bluegrass scene. So that's how I got into country music. Mm-hmm. It was bluegrass first. Yeah. Then I visited Nashville and I had some friends that were like gigging and doing well down here. And that's when I decided to move down here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know like, I knew like, hey, good looking and Thunder Rolls and stuff like that. But sure. like, I moved to town and Luke Bryan was huge and Aldine was huge and I didn't know who they were at all. I was I would go and play on Broadway and I remember we played this Miranda Lambert song with this you know just acoustic and I was just following along not knowing the song at all and we finished it and I said to the girl, "Wow, that's a really that's a killer song," and she looked like looked at me like I had four eyes on my head and she's like, "What do you mean?" I go like that's a awesome song. She's like, "It's Miranda Lambert." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh." And she's like, how long have you lived here? I'm like, two weeks. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was kerosene, that song. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience when I was I was touring with a guy named Logan Mize. You ever sure, come across yeah. him? Yeah, he's a great guy. That was actually my first country gig in town. We just, I don't know, I don't even know how it happened. I knew a guy, I knew a guy. Met him one night, had a drink, hopped in a van the next day. And we were doing a two-month like van country rock tour. It was really cool. And we would be in the van and those guys were kind of talking about country music the way that we might talk about rock records, which in my experience is really rare. Now, maybe your boy Tyler does, but... Yeah, if you come to our bus at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's like we're listening to some Clint Black deep cut or right. something. 
Well, so what they, so I told them, I said, you know, I, I'd like to talk about Prince and Daniel Lenoir. I like to talk about, you know, uh, Kenny Aronoff and I like to talk about Jimmy Iovine and damn torpedoes, deep cuts. Right. I was like, what are like, what's the shit that like guys like me don't know about country music. And they played me a Keith Urban song called stupid boy. And they were like, this is a song, right? Like in this world, this is almost as good as it gets in songwriting. And I'd never heard Keith Urban like that. I just knew of him as like a guitar playing kind of pop country guy. Right. Yeah. And they played this. It kind of was like a Ryan Adams with a great lyric. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing Kip Moore stuff for the first time. I was like, oh, this guy's like actually writing songs. Yeah. You know, that kind of opened my world a little bit. I'm still listening to Metallica records, but it yeah. did it did make that world less one dimensional to me, which is probably how I naively saw it before I was doing Same. it. I thought it was everything was really corny and twangy. Yeah. And, but I, I made that impression as a young kid without ever listening to country music at all. Yeah. So, and now there's some songs that are like, like Beer Never Broke My Heart is like pretty rock, you know? Yeah. It's like we're in drop D flat. Like I'm headbanging on stage. Like, <laughs> right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Corn's, sure. Corn's covering it next summer, I believe. That's right. For yeah. their summer tour. When Actually, is, when is Luke hiring a DJ? Hey, <laughs> what? Just for the. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, crazy. Where's that laugh track at? We were we were the live. Oh, yeah, laugh we're, track. What's the point of having that box, man? If we're not pressing those buttons, dude, let's get them going. <laughs> boo! Is there a sad one? There's a want want. There's a yeah. There's not a there's not a, like a boo, but there's a. <laughs> Two thousand dollars later, <laughs> or if you're telling a really intense story. <laughs> and then Luke said, "You got the gig." Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, some of the songs are pretty heavy. You mentioned Aldine. Like, I remember learning some of those songs, some of yeah. the country bands that we would cover an Aldine song. I'm like, fuck, man, that's a huge riff in this song. Yeah. Bom, bom, yeah. We did, a, we did a show with Brantley Gilbert. Is it Brantley Gilbert? Yeah, yes. Brantley Gilbert. And, dude, they, they were all a bunch of rock guys. Yeah, and Ben's got the mohawk and all that. I've, I've, I've toured with, when I played for Michael Ray, who's another country artist, we opened for him. And then right. when I switched to Luke, we ended up opening for Brantley for a year. So for like a year and a half, I was just opening for Brantley Gilbert. Yeah. Wow. Does he still have the same guys over there? Is it mostly the same guys? Uh, oh, wait. You know what? Their bass player used to be with Luke. Yes. Yeah. So they we, we actually, it's really funny. After we toured with Brantley, a bunch of Brantley's guys came with us. Right. Including Jerry, who you guys got to have on the podcast sometime. Yeah. And uh, so now they have our bass player. Jerry is the production manager for the Luke gig. So we should talk about what that means because maybe some of our listeners aren't sure about like at a touring situation this big, like what the crew, I think people have an idea of what a tour manager is, a Mm -hmm. guy that kind of gets you from A to B, maybe an idea of what a sound guy does, makes it sound good out front. Then you have a different sound guy that makes the stage sound good for the band. But Mm -hmm. what is How would you describe what a production manager does? It's, Kind of everything. Yeah, there's it's so much work. It's designing the stage, you know, CAD designing, and then it's also like tour managing like the production side of stuff. Like making right. sure that we have enough power or enough stage hands or enough room to park the trucks or bathrooms or green rooms. Which is so much like pre tour work. Yeah, it's a lot of planning and a lot, a lot of, of advance advancing work. is yeah. the word they use. But yeah. And if you're hanging stuff, like you have to make sure that you're in within the codes of what the roof can support. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or if weight. you have pyro or right. cryo or you gotta get fire marshals out. You mm-hmm. gotta clear it with the city and shit. That's I'm, right. I'm so glad I'm not a, a stage manager or a star production manager. But Jerry did have one funny line he said to me a long time ago. He was like, Hey Kurt, what's the difference between a production manager and a band guy? And I said I don't know, Jerry, what? He's like, an extra zero on my salary. <laughs> it's like, hell yeah, Jerry. All right. Cool, Jerry. Well, listen, we're here having a good time on the podcast, and Jerry's not. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And you well, know what that is? Jerry. Priceless. Yeah. You True. Can, you take, take all the zeros off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need no stinking zeros here. It has been really cool for us to, like, and Ethan and I have been a part of a lot of different kinds of bands, a lot of different kind of levels, but at our baby band slot right now where we're growing and learning, it's been pretty wild watching you guys, especially those stadium shows. Because what, and I was telling someone this recently too, because we've been out with Chris Stapleton the last month, I guess, or less than a month. I don't even know. It doesn't matter. A couple shows. A couple. Did we only do two? Five shows. Five shows. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I really don't know. It's <laughs> okay. Uh, but you see what it takes behind the scenes, how organized it has to be for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. And it starts to make sense why someone like Luke or Chris, outside of 
the tunes resonating with an audience, but like you can have a great record that resonates with an audience, but you got to be able to take it, take it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's no joke. And there's a lot that's, you know, being managed up on that stage. I mean, I, I walked over there earlier and there, I mean, there's seven semi trucks, right? You know, it's a lot of shit. You All know? of them have Kurt's uh, Berkeley degrees in them. Exactly. <laughs> there, there's a lot of Berkeley. You got a few copies made. So yeah, they're all framed in each truck. Uh, but you, you know, you got that. You've got uh, however many, what, six buses over there. It's just a whole operation that has to be managed. And the production manager is kind of at the helm of that. You know, you have a team. I'm sure there's a production coordinator and assistant tour manager and all that stuff. But it's pretty wild. I mean, I've, I've talked to, like, people in my own family that don't really understand this world and sometimes maybe refuse to even learn about it. But it, it's, you know, there's a whole office on the road, you know. it's it's There's an office job if you want it for touring. You don't have to be a musician to go on the road. Yeah, sometimes that production management room is like a little den. It's like mm-hmm. dimly lit, computers everywhere. Right. I hardly go in those rooms. Hacking the mainframe. I wonder what Metallica's production shit is like because they have... I know when they played Bridgestone, I didn't get to go, but... We've seen it. It looks like this. It looks like the Luke thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just a huge touring operation. You is, know? That, is that what you're asking? I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, no, it's exactly what I'm asking. Cause it, I know, like they ha- but they have more production than we do. Cause they, they have, have a like, banjo player. Um, but- hey, if they need one... <laughs> Call me. Well, that's so, what I'm saying. That's right. Lars. So on the arena tour, which me and Moke got to do a tour of that whole setup before they played, and really a lot of the production value was in like LD world because right. they had these cubes that moved and they had these drones, TVs or whatever. Yeah. Bands pretty hands off on that, but the way that they just communicate, like our friend Wes who does the word wedge stuff, he's in a separate area. He's not really near the stage, and he's running the whole thing. He has a redundant rig in case he's doing like goes down. teleprompter stuff. Yeah, and James's teleprompter, I mean, Jesus, I don't want them to get bummed, but his teleprompter isn't all the lyrics. It's like prompts. It'll be, like, it'll be like the first two words yeah, just as a prompt. And I don't think he uses them the whole time, but they're just there yeah. in case. Most, most guys, like, do, you, do you feel alive? <laughs> How does it feel to be alive? To be strive. Oh, crap, it's alive. Uh, is it show me? Yes, show me. <laughs> See, they responded to it. It works. Yeah. Well, uh, the the... Bands I've worked for that have used teleprompters, uh, it's usually just more of a safety net. Yeah. It's like, hey, I, I wrote these lyrics. I know them. But sometimes all of us, well, there, you forget stuff. There are some artists, and I won't name whom they are, but Kurt has worked with me with one of them. Um, oh, boy. Once they did get on that it's word, not Luke word wedge, Morgan. it wasn't Luke or Morgan. Uh, but once they did get on that word wedge, it was like a, a pacifier. I mean, yeah, it was like okay. if the word wedges weren't working, we were in, it was like, get them working. Wow. Because you kind of get used to it in a way sure. if you lean on it too much, you know? So I'm not... Anyway, it was the Spice Girls. So. It was the Spice Girls, yeah. It was sporty. Um, I'm so glad I don't have to memorize the lyrics anymore because like, <laughs> I don't sing on this gig. Right. And it's always been... That was always the hardest part of like getting... Like learning a set is like memorizing all the... And I, you know, all the BGVs and everything. I only learn the chorus. Like I yeah. still don't even know the words. Oh, yeah. I've sung thousands of times. You only learn what you're actually singing. And, totally. and sometimes you don't even really learn it. If it sounds close enough, you're like, okay. Well, and if you're in a guitar playing situation too, you're having to also learn solos and signature lines. Yeah. You know, that's why I don't think we should get paid uh, the same as the bass player. Oh, yeah. Or you just be like Hardy and not even have a bass player. Uh, well, is that the future of this kind of work? No. I'm just putting that out there. I hope it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you said, no, I hope it's You're not. just willing. You're just trying to will it into yeah, existence. Exactly, yeah. I guess it. you know what it really depends on in those kinds of matters? I mean, just economically, it depends on how much they can get away with it and at what level. Because yeah. if cause he's kind of blown up. He's huge, yeah. He's huge. And if, if someone big enough can do it, it's going to set a tone. I, I actually remember... Um, a, a great German named Derek Wyatt. I don't know if you ever knew him. He actually passed away. I didn't know Derek. He was with Kelly Clarkson in her like heyday. He, okay. he did the Since You've Been Gone video. He did the Grammys with her, did SNL. Right. He did a lot of really cool stuff with her at a really cool time. And he was like an LA-based pop rock guy. And he said that uh, a big thing that happened when he was in that camp was Britney Spears um, cleaned house with her camp and got like a new camp and paid them less. Mm. And she was the biggest pop act in the world at the time. Right. And her economic decisions about whatever she had to do uh, trickled down the entire industry. And then yeah. it, she became kind of the standard for how to run and operate a tour. Yeah, sure. Level. And so that affected the Kelly Clarkson. I mean, I, I don't know if this is all 100% true. I don't want Kelly to hear this. Of course. Kelly's like, I tuned in to hear about Metallica, not the fucking economics <laughs> of a tour that you weren't even on. Pop shit, yeah. She was like, please talk more about Dyer's Eve. But... 
Um, she loved yeah. that song. Whenever I do see artists, you know, I remember Marin was rocking it without a bass player for a minute. Mm-hmm. Really, because the story that I heard was because Tony wouldn't go on the road with her. Oh, wow. And she had, like, dates booked. And so I remember, too, I was with Claire Dunn. You remember, you guys remember Claire Dunn? Yeah. That's, Claire. that's Tony, one of the amazing dogs, right? Yeah, he's one of the amazing dogs. Yeah, um, and she, I, I did shows opening for Marin with Claire. This is right before Marin took off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she didn't have a bass player. It was just running in the tracks. And Sam Hunt didn't have a bass player, and he got made fun of in Nashville for it. Right. I, what was that fake Not parody? Sam Hunt's bass player. Was that the parody account? Yeah. Or Not Jake Owen or something? No, it was not Sam Hunt's bass player. <laughs> and whatever happened with that? Did they find out who it was? I don't know, but when they got when Sam actually got a bass player, a really good bass player, by the way, they the account got deleted. So. Well, it, had, it no longer served any purpose. Yeah. It was, it was you, wasn't it, Kurt? No. I'm not that funny. No way. <laughs> There's a few interesting parody Nashville accounts where people are like, who is it? You know? Like music shitty. There's, There's one called one, Nashville Cynic that I like. There's a pedal steel one. Yeah. And it's like pedals or it's like steel pedal guitar or something. <laughs> and they there's they photoshopped a photo of me where I'm singing in a mic and they changed the mic to a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm like, show my girlfriend this. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And she's like laughing. I'm like, it's not funny. I mean, it is funny. <laughs> but I'm like, God. And you don't know who it is. I do. I mean, I do now. And it's some some dude. I don't even know. Right. He just probably targets the biggest acts in town. Well, he's making fun of Paul Franklin. I'm like, okay, if he's ma- also making fun of Paul Franklin, because it's like pictures of Paul Franklin with dildos also. I'm like, God. <laughs> it's like Nashville royalty. Yeah, it's just dildos yeah. everywhere. I remember, I'm glad you brought up Paul Franklin. Cause Am I allowed where, to say dildo on the podcast? Yes, yes, that's fine. I mean, I guess so. You already have like four times. Dildo. <laughs> five. Number five. Uh, this is an interesting window into who you are, because I, I think you told me this. You're you're the only guy in my life that would say something like this. But we were talking about, uh, man, if we were like independently wealthy, are you good on time? Yeah. Like, man, if we were independently wealthy, would you still tour? And I think we were like, you were like, I don't think so. You're like, what I would do is I would just pay Paul Franklin whatever it would cost for him to teach me how to be the best pedal steel guitar player. Does that sound like something you said? Yes. But I still think I would tour. Right. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd be slugging around in a van. Right. But. If I had a condo bunk and good catering like I do now, then yes, I would. Right. For sure. Well, if you're independently wealthy, you can just have your own bus and yeah. bring along your own catering. Like um, Pino Palladino has his own bus out with John Mayer. Right. Which is, that's pretty sick. That's but pretty I guarantee cool. you John's paying for it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He ain't, he's not like, look, I'm a successful bass player. Yeah. I'll just bring my own bus. That was part of his deal for John, sure. Yeah. John probably was like, what's it going to take? In fact, I know that, uh, well, I know just because Trent Reznor has said it in interviews, is that when Pino did whatever Nine Inch Nails record he recorded with them, with Teeth maybe, or the one after? Okay. Him, but, oh, no, it was Hesitation Marks. They were trying to find a bass player and kind of having trouble, and Trent was like, well, why don't we just get Pino to do it? And whoever the muckety mucks in his business were like, I don't think Pino is going to come on tour with Nine Inch Nails. And Trent Reznor was like, find out what he needs to make to do it. There's a number. And then just pay it. Don't negotiate. Just pay the number that Pino needs to mm-hmm. tour with us. And he did. I mean, there was a number. Yeah. Damn, that's cool. I'm sure, and, and, and most people have a number. Yeah, everyone does. Yeah, for me, it's apparently <laughs> it's a one hundred dollars a day. It's a twenty five dollar gift card to Dave and Buster's, dude, and then I'm in, yeah. dude. As long as I can get an Outback Steakhouse card, I'll be good. I just need, as long as it, I can buy a blooming onion with it, then I'm good. That's where we had dinner last night. <laughs> we were like waiting to get in, and there's like ten and you of said us. you're not independently wealthy. Come on, you silly goose. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's. Anyway, that's what I would do for sure. If I was rich, I talk. I like talking about this just to put it out there. I would like have Magnus Carlson flown out in a jet and have him teach me chess. You oh, know, okay. just do sh- crazy shit like that. I played chess one time with Kurt. Like we played it like through our phones in our bunks yeah. when he was out with Rodney. We were in separate bunks. Maybe one or two games, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm good. You're too good." You and Johnny have played online, right? Johnny's oh, Johnny Sword. Johnny's intimidated to play you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that's the right answer. I don't think I've played Johnny. He looked at your score. I took his base gig, and I'm going to beat his ass in chess. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much for the ego to handle. Yeah. That's true. Do you have? A, you, do you have, I'm assuming you have. You travel with like an actual chess set. I have a mini one in my bag, but I just play on my phone. Yeah. Well, I, I think you should call out Johnny and like do like a little like like throw it down in front of him like. And that's the rule. No. If you throw okay, it down, I gotta tell you guys time. the story. I know this is Metallica podcast, but and we'll talk about chess. We've for a only second. been talking about Metallica this whole time. <laughs> All right, so I'm not gonna name any names. Mm-hmm. Clint, but no ginger spice. I played a guy on 
another guitar player in Nashville who's a really good buddy of mine. He's super sweet. And he's like, hey, I'm getting in the chess. Do you want to play a game of chess? I said, sure. And I said, let's play how, what time control do you want to play, which means there's a certain amount of time you get. And generally, the more time to think you have, the better chess you can play. And the less time, you just have to make moves, cause, or else if you run out of time, you lose. Right. So he's like, let's play correspondence chess, which, which just means you get like one to three days per move. So you can just make wow. it at your own leisure. So I played this guy who just started playing chess, and he beat me. Wow. Like, very easily. And I was like, hey, man, great game. Like, I'm surprised you pulled out that Sicilian con variation. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I've been looking into that. That's kind of why I played that. And I was like, this is weird. And then I pulled it up, like, on the, with the computer analysis, and he played with, like, 99% accuracy. I've so been he was, looking So he was cheating. It. Yes. That's bullshit. And I go, well, let's play, let's play again, but let's play with time controls or, you know, so that you don't have time to, and I didn't say like, but I, I knew I would catch him. Oh no, I don't like playing. I don't like playing that time control. So because he had basically unlimited, well, one to three days is basically unlimited time Yeah. to just Google it, to just Google. And so he was able to put in where everything was and, and a computer would say, this, this is, is the top this move. Is the yeah. move. That's, wow. That's not cool. It happened. That's just part of playing online chess. Like on longer time controls, people cheat. I don't know why, but they do. It's a disgrace to the game. Well, I, I mean, I'm not True. good at chess, but when I do play, like I've played Johnny maybe 10 times, and he would beat me, and I hated it. I was never tempted to cheat because right. what a hollow win. Like, I, it just, yeah. I want to actually win. Right, exactly. So what does that guy get ultimately, like bragging rights? No, he's never bragged about it before. Well, not to you. Yeah. But, but he also hasn't played you ever again. True. I don't understand. I don't. I don't get it. It's not. I think me. we all know who the real winner is. <laughs> True. And give it up for Kurt. Jeez. Thank you. He refuses to cheat, dude. So tell us about your podcast, Raised Rowdy. Oh, cool. So I have a podcast with my buddy Nick, and um, we just—it's like we talk about the Nashville music scene in the country world. So we interview like Morgan would be a good guest if you guys could. Hook that what about up. what about drummer and guitar player? Yeah, what about us? You guys want to be on it? I mean. <laughs> well anyway we just it's an interview we talk about people like artists and stuff like that and then at the end of the podcast with each artist i play with them musically <laughs> oh you guys get that, out shoots and ladders that and was play. close yeah. that was close no um we've had a lot of really cool guests on and it our, our niche is like obviously we're not like bobby bones or anything so right. it's like we're not getting people like luke or whatever but we kind of get folks that are like breaking or yeah, you know, just about the break. Have you thought about asking Luke to do it? Um, we could intro with his production manager. I know I've met Luke before. <laughs> no, yeah. I actually haven't. Um, he just had a kid, so and I know he. I know how much he hates like doing like content stuff like that. Sure, but Luke did play. We also do a writers round in town, which is like a concert, acoustic concert, where people sing. You know, just their songs with a guitar. There's no production or anything. It's just the music. People sit in a chair and sing and. Luke came and played it one time. This so. is for the podcast you do this? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Just like how much you explained that. Well, the, People yeah. sit in a chair. Um, if they're a little thirsty, they'll take a sip of water. There's music. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like, a, it's not like you know, he brought the buses and right. you know, just shut up. and It's low-key. Yeah. So that was cool. That's awesome. Well, we can kind of divorce that away from Luke specifically, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. You know, we work with Morgan. We've talked about having Morgan on our Turn the Page series. Mm-hmm. What do you, how do you navigate the dynamic of they're your boss, they're your buddy, you're tight, you see them every day, you make music on stage together at a mm-hmm. big level. There is an interesting, is it a political thread? Like, there is an interesting way to navigate being cool with that kind of thing. Cause you don't want to be the band guy that's like, Luke, come on, be on my podcast or right, Morgan, yeah. come talk. You know, right. like, how do you navigate that? Not just for Luke, but for any artist, you for Michael Ray or yeah. whoever. Well, Luke and I were friends before, like, he, like had any success or anything. Right. So we've, you know, we've been friends forever, but now that he's so busy, um, I will, I'll, I'll tell you like this. I remember him complaining about being famous one time and I thought, well, boo fucking who, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and he was like, no, but like, seriously, like we were on this cruise, Brantley Gilbert cruise. We were playing on it and he had a super nice suite, but he literally couldn't leave his hotel room. Like, he couldn't leave without getting mobbed every mm-hmm. time. 
So he's like, dude, I'm trapped up here by myself. And he's like, he had a view of like the outside area. He's like, I see all my friends out there getting drunk and swimming and doing all this fun stuff. And like, I can't leave. Right. And he's like, I can't even go into Walmart anymore and yeah. like buy something. Right. I have to like order, you know, order things online. It's like. He has to have your uncle go get the Spice Girl CD for him. That's right. <laughs> yes. Well, at least, you know, the, the plus side to that is at least Luke now knows what it's like to host Middle of Your Podcast. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, see? laughs> we can't leave this room all day. No, dude, we're but, stuck here, man. But, you know, it's like, I don't, we're not like on one bus anymore. I'm not with him that often, mm-hmm. um, especially now that he's a kid. So it's like, I don't want to be like the 10 minutes a day I see him to be like, hey, man, do something for me. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I know you paid me through the fucking pandemic right but do more things for me right you know <laughs> yeah it's like when i see him i want to make fun of our drummer drink a beer and go play an awesome show yeah, totally. that's like so i just <laughs> it's making fun of the drummer on the to-do list yeah kind of yeah oh jake sorry jake which we talked to jake and uh what's the base, new bass player's name max matt. Matt. matt maxwell uh they're they wanted to be on the show too yeah well I'm going to tell him what you said. Well, we told him good luck. I'm just going to say this, that Jake hates Lars's drumming, so he can't be on the podcast. He hates it? I think so, yeah. Canc- he, he's canceled. He's, he's one of these people that I imagine he's himself a successful drummer and a good drummer, and he he thinks Lars is sloppy. Yes. Is that what it is? Yes. He doesn't understand the power. He doesn't understand it. Yeah. Which, let me guess, he, he doesn't do? like Ringo. He does like Ringo. He does? Yeah. See, that doesn't make sense to me because I, yeah. I think both have very similar limitations. Well, you know what? We'll have to have Jake tell it. Yeah. So. What do you do as a Metallica Jake, fan? Jake! Jake, get in here. Hey, put the boo sound on there, Jake. <laughs> boo. We need a boo sound we on We do here. need a boo we sound. Boo Mostly sound. for me. Because um, there's another topic I want to get into that will require boo sounds. Um, Today? Yeah, in a Is second. Halloween? Okay. <laughs> no, but so... How do you, being the Metallica guy, I mean, you were just telling me right before we started recording that none of your boys on the band like the fucking Beatles. And I know there's a small subset of our fans that are like, good, Beatles aren't good, I get it, they're overrated. But they're wrong. And that's like one of the only bands in the world that you're just flat out wrong about if you don't dig it. Yeah. And you said you played you played a George Harrison song, something that kind of turned the tide for one guy. Yeah. Well, Jake's a big Beatles fan. Right. We're not just talking about Jake. But what do you do when the guys don't like one of your favorite bands? Do you try to argue with them or do you just let it be what it is let it be i <laughs> let it be thank you yes amazing um i mean you're living in a tube with these people right like a big metal you tube gotta get, down the highway you it's gotta like, get along yeah um so you know like when a you know political joke comes up and i'm just like okay ha 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 you know like i'm not gonna like dig my heels in and like make a big fluff about it you know right. what i mean like and some of these guys like they're they just grew up with country and it's like they're not even listening to like tom petty i'm not going to play them like dyer's eve or something you yeah. know it's just like that's a lot to take in at first it's sure. a lot yeah. yeah okay so the topic that i think would get the booze and i'm not going to say as much about it yet because i want kurt to talk about it okay. so when we were asking kurt if he wanted to be on the show when we were in boston a couple of days ago i love the, i said kurt do you want to do a podcast episode you wrote yes always, <laughs> like, <laughs> always. Well, i'm always down to talk about metallica so. and, well then i jokingly said rule number one no metallica talk yeah what and, and you said, well, let's talk about this quote-unquote, and you put the quotes on Pantera reunion. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. So we've, d- we've discussed it on the show a bit. Everyone knows how I feel about it, yeah. but I'm curious what you think about it. Yeah. And what is your, contextualize us briefly. Are you a Pantera fan? Are you a Dimebag fan? I am a Dimebag fan, yeah. And, okay. I, and I like Pantera. I'm not, like, in love with Pantera. Some of the riffs are fucking brutal, and I love them. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. I love his playing. I think it's... So different. He's like one of those the guys that just has a voice on the instrument. I agree. Um, and you 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 said Slayer fatigue. Yeah, I, did I earlier, get Pantera yeah. fatigue too, but it's it takes a lot longer, I guess. Well, I think That's they have better. I think they have better songs. I think for there's, sure there's, way better yeah. songs. I think way better riffs. I think once you get over the brutal thing, there's more to chew on. You know, an interesting lyric. Feeling someone's got a very unique voice. The power, the rhythmic power of Rex and. Vinny. Yeah, super heavy. It's mm-hmm. not just brutal. Like where right. Slayer's whole thing is like, no one is more brutal than them. Right. But it's just that, you know, and that's yeah. A fat- lot. Fatigue sets in pretty quick with Slayer. Because sometimes yeah. I even get load and reload fatigue. Sometimes, yeah. Like I understand it, you know. Yeah. All right. So, so. but I, I like Pantera, but you know, Metallica's Metallica. Yeah. Like they're just so much better than any other band in that genre. I hundred percent agree. So how you feel? How you feeling about this reunion announcement? And we did air quotes earlier, but. 
if I if I was a Pantera fan like I am a Metallica fan, I would be very disappointed. Yeah. Um, I, it's just a cash grab by Phil. I assume I've done zero research, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I'm just hating without learning about. I don't know who's in the band. It could be the fucking okay. coolest guys. So so it's it's Rex Brown, original bass player, and, yep. it's, and it's Phil. And obviously the brothers are no longer with us. So it's Charlie Bonante from Anthrax on drums and Zach Wild on guitar. Holy shit, Zach Wilds on guitar? So it, it's... That's two, cool. Two, two, <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. There's some research Let's for you. Go. He's been completely turned no, around on it. I don't... But it's still... It's not Pantera, right? Right, yeah. Well, we now know because they've announced, I think, two festivals are playing that is being billed as Pantera. Of course it is. Cause, well, of course it is. That's the, that's the way you're going to make the most money. Clint had a good idea a few episodes back. What if they called it like Cowboys from Hell? Like It's more of a tribute thing, but th- that's not going to sell the tickets. Yeah. I would like to see Zach Wild play with Pantera, though. I love his guitar playing. You're about to, yeah. Well, I'm not going to that show. Are you guys going to that show? No, the first no. one's in like it's like a festival in Mexico, yeah, but like December fourth or something. I'm definitely gonna go on YouTube and watch some stuff for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out, but yeah, I just it's weird because they're like family. You know what I mean? It's just like literally family. Mm-hmm. It's like I mean, I the, the, yeah, the, the 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 heartbeat of that band is gone, right? You know. Well, I just think there's another layer to it too. Is is where you know before Vinny died, he was like really adamant about never reuniting with Phil. Yeah, he was like, "How are you going to?" This is before he died, obviously, because he was saying it. But he right. was like, "How are you going to put a band together without Dime and call it Pantera?" Mm-hmm. He's like, "What are you talking about? How are you going to do that?" Yeah, and now they're both no gone. And now they're both gone, and they're calling it Pantera. You know what? Because the, the the way I see this, they're like, finally, the the Abbott brothers are out of the way. They can't stop us, and they can't stop it. Right? Yeah, it's like. Uh, there being a George Jones bar where they sell alcohol all the time, you know, and he's like an alcoholic. It's like right, cash grab for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a cash grab. I mean, there, you know, there's a part the, the Pantera fan inside of me is like, well, okay, I want it to be good. I want it to sound awesome. I want Phil to sound great, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. Is he still like? I just picture Phil like really old and fat with a huge beard. <laughs> he actually looks pretty good. I, I watched a, a, a set from his old band Down. He's had forever. Yeah, like I think Hellfest or one of those things. And he looks pretty damn good. And he actually sounded, I was really surprised. I mean, there's some high, high notes that he did in Pantera. He's not going to be able to hit that stuff. Especially like the first record. It's just like uh, Cowboys from Hell stuff. No way. Yeah. Even on vulgar display, but which uh, cue the metal police saying that that's not their first record. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's definitely not their first record. Um, I think there's also two, and this is going to sound really sanctimonious for a second. And I apologize. And I don't mean this a hundred percent. I don't, this isn't an all or nothing thing. Right. There's a lot of room in this spectrum for a lot of different emotions about this Pantera shit. But there's also this idea of like, I don't even know how to, how to word this. I haven't said any of this out loud yet, but I'm thinking about it. I'm like, the music just means so much to me. Mm-hmm. Like the music means a lot to me, both the recorded song and just like the idea of the song cemetery gates. I think Fuck that yeah, recording, that awesome. yeah. I think that recording is, as good as they could have done it. And to me, it's just, there's an idea of that song with those four guys. Mm-hmm. And now it's all just getting kind of shit on, kind of pissed on. It's like, yeah, it, it, the music part of it. That's really what's most important is this disposable. Um, they're just using it, you know? And it's like, yeah, but the music, like watching Tommy Lee and Vince Neil barely play home sweet home. is like, yeah, they sold out a stadium, but for what? Like, yeah. to, to play this great song like in such a disgraceful way that sounds so bad, mm-hmm. you know, like isn't it the music that we care? Like, I like the people that like let the music be what it was and almost in a way to honor it, right. and walk away from it. Yeah, yeah. To me, there's a little uh, something a little more special about like you know, in this case, when someone passes away, or in, in their case, two guys. That 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 you know, it ends with them passing away, and we can always go back and listen to these great albums, and nothing right. can ever really tarnish that or get in the way of potentially tarnishing that but then you have like this reunion thing where it's like oh okay well one of the arguments i've seen is like yeah but think about all the people that are going to be able to hear this music and i'm like they can't listen to the records Mm -hmm. also it's like now that we're talking about i've got the the devil and the angel (laughs) on each shoulder it's like i mean so what they play it like what is it? it doesn't take away anything from what was you know the original records don't get any worse because they play them live again I yeah. just, it's just the fact I that, that I know argument. that, yeah, but if like, if the original band members are saying, I'll never play with Phil again, and then they're using their band name and doing that, it just seems like disgraceful, I guess, to their memory. 
I mean, I don't see any way around that part. They're trying to say, well, the the you know the the families have blessed it. I'm like, yeah, but those guys are dead, dude. Yeah, the dead people blessed it. My, like- my wife could come out and say, um, Clint always hated Dave Matthews Band, and I, you know, he always hated it. Well, I'm dead. I can't defend myself. Right. Yeah. You can say whatever the fuck you can do whatever the fuck you want. I'd imagine Clint that- said Megadeth is better than Metallica. <laughs> there you go. You can say that. You know, <laughs> you really can. Yeah. You know, at the end, at the end, there, Clint really loved Megadeth, and I Hello want everyone me. to know. You know, <laughs> there's a Dave Mustaine button. Hello, me. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. There's a lot of buttons in here. I think the biggest argument against against someone like me being kind of like there is something that really viscerally bothers me about it, yeah. and there is definitely an argument that like who cares? And okay, I mean, I accept that. But believe me, my world will keep turning. I, I do a podcast where I'm like, you know, ostensibly people listen so that we can share our opinions about right, right sure yeah uh, my world keeps turning i'm gonna keep having a good time and listening to the records but isn't it sad to trot out old fat elvis over and over isn't it sad to just trot something out some bullshit that's sad yeah for now sure. you can do it it isn't gonna ruin my life but mm-hmm. it is sad yeah but why now why are they doing it now uh do, do we have a ding 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 do we have a cash register sound on I, there? I don't think we do we can just i mean because because they're all getting older and they're yeah. all dying, yeah. and there's only so much time they could do that and perform that way too. Yeah. You know, to that, I think, that I level. Think, I think the clock's ticking for sure. And I think enough time has passed to where I think they maybe thought we can kind of get away. They're kind of getting away with it. Like, mm-hmm. there's people like me that are like, I think it's kind of lame. But then right. a lot of people are like, "Fuck it, dude! I want to see Cemetery Gates." Right, right. That's me. I want to see Cemetery. I mean, I kind of, I kind of have the, the the devil and angel on my shoulder too. Yeah. There's part of me that's kind of like, "Yeah, this is kind of lame." The Abbott brothers are gone. Blah blah blah. And there's the other side of me going, well, "I want it to be good. I want to be able to the day after they play their first show, get online and find a clip, be like, oh shit." I totally agree with that. Like, I I do think there is like I reject the either or thing. Like, I don't think you have to support it or hate it. Right. I think the I think I have a lot of different opinions about it. I bet if Charlie Bonante was sitting right here with me and was like explained his side of it to me, I'd probably okay. feel differently. So here's what we should do. Let's get Zach Wild on the podcast. Done. Okay. Zach, get in here. Where is he at? I'm like, Zach, you're a disgrace. He just immediately punches me in the face, <laughs> and I immediately die. He would kill you for sure if yeah. he wanted to. He just pulls some chains off his guitar strap and just strangles you with <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, he's wearing a skirt. Yeah. <laughs> kilt. He just just strangles you with his bare legs. Well, I do hope it's good. I mean, I'm on record saying that. I hope it's great. I hope the fans love it. Yeah. It's just a fucking disgrace. That's all. Period. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, that's kind of how I feel. But I, I would like to watch Zach Wild rip on Cemetery Gates. Yeah. But do you, like, do you, if you were, if you were on that gig and you're Zach Wild, are you playing the, the, the solo records, like the records from the solo. I think you have to. The solos solo from the record. record. Sorry, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You're, I, I I fully expect him to. And I think he knows that fans are. I mean, he's he's super tight with Dime. He he knows every fan's going to come to these shows, wants to watch him play it just like Dime. I mean, he's not Dime, but he. That's I think a, I think I, he'll be faithful to it. I feel like if I was Zach, I'm like that's a lose lose situation. I feel like I mean it's cool you get to play Pantera, but like you're not doing any of your own artistry. And if you stray at all, then you're fucked because people are going to hate on you. He'll be under a magnifying glass for sure. He is sure. walking into a landmine. Yeah. I think more, more, more him than Charlie Field. Off, yeah, if, if anyone can pull it off, it's going to be him. You know, but it's just, what's, why, does he, why is Zach doing it? Out of respect for Dime? I think, I think they were super tight friends, and I think that's always been this like looming kind of idea. Like If they were to ever do a thing, you know, Zach Wilde would be the right person to, to do it or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, where's that cash register button? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like Zach's doing okay. He doesn't need to dig up this corpse. and Anyone doing okay wants more money, dude. I mean, I would take the Pantera gig. <laughs> <laughs> they want a banjo player, a pedal steel? Yeah. Let's go. Get I'll play guitar. Fuck it. Well, let's move away from Pantera. We've heard Kurt's thoughts about that. We are getting ready for you to go do your sound check. What's sound check like for you guys? It's great. Um, essentially, what we're going to do is run through a couple songs, make sure everything works, and then that's it. Does Luke show up for sound checks? Uh, not usually. Right. But so, you know, with our big crew, it's like I don't have to like set my own gear up, which is like the coolest thing ever. That's so cool. And I play, I have on the road probably three guitars, pedal steel, mandolin, dobro, banjo. I have all this stuff, and people like change the strings, which I hate changing strings. Yeah. One of the last people to ever set up my shit was Kurt. That's true. <laughs> yeah, when I was uh, I was on the road and I was your guitar tech, well, and Rod's too. But when the the first stadium show we did, which was in Denver, I think, you kept walking around and you were like, 
I used to guitar tech for this guy. Now look at him. He's playing a stadium today. Yeah. It's awesome. And what was really funny, too, is when I played bass for y'all, mm-hmm. and I was walking off stage, and I looked over, and Luke, and everyone's screaming. And I looked over, and Luke was there, yeah. and he walked over and took my bass for me, and bass tech for me. Uh, he yeah. teched for you. Hell yeah. That's so awesome. cool. I mean, I didn't expect anyone to be bummed, but it was cool how generous, because Johnny Sword missed a flight. Kurt, yeah. generously, I mean, I hit you up. Was it that day, just earlier? Oh, no, it was the, the day before. before. And you were, like, in your hotel, like, you know, learning the songs. And I was at a bar when you were texting me, and I had to go home, <laughs> and I was, like, squinting with one eye open, like, writing charts out. <laughs> <laughs> you did you did some homework, though, man. We got together the day of the show in the, in the dressing room and went over some parts. Yeah, and was, that was a really cool thing, man. And, yeah. yeah, it was cool to see Luke over there. I mean, the feeling I got, he's watched our set a couple times, which is cool. I know he's aware of Morgan's music and likes her stuff. But especially at that show, it seemed like a lot of your crew out there were like supporting you and mm-hmm. excited to see you play in. And mm-hmm. and our bass player was watching too. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I probably should have done this, but oh well. <laughs> I think he was off the side of the stage going. I can feel it. I can feel it. Well, dude, thank you for coming back on the podcast. It Anytime. was a pleasure to chat with you for an hour and a half or however long this has been. Give it up for Curdo's and you know what? Let's let the applause. The studio audience, I don't think, is done clapping. Let's, let's, st- let's, let's stack this shit. You want to stack them up, dude? Whoa, there's even more people clapping. So, well, how, you guys have been doing this for a long time, huh? 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. When I took the Rodney gig, my buddy Wes had... I knew of your podcast. He's like, dude, there's this thing called Metal Up Your Podcast. You should check it out. And then that's when we met. I was like, oh, you're that guy. I didn't know you then. But, you didn't know me then, yeah. Um, I met you on Zoom. But that was years ago. <laughs> yeah. So how how long have you all been doing this? We're coming up on six years. Yeah, January first will be six years. What's your favorite memory from getting to do the podcast? Mm, probably when Kurt Ozon came back on the show. Yeah, the second time. Okay, yeah. cool. I mean, like you, I know I've seen like photos of you guys getting to do like the Met tour, where you could play the drum kits and all that stuff. You you guys did well, not the not the official tour, but we've gotten to, like we've had a lot of cool access to the band that the kid and me. The, lead, the load reload kid in me would right. never have dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, some of that's pretty memorable. Going to the shows together. Yeah. Like, see, I didn't, when I went to see them in 2017, I hadn't seen them in 17 years. And a friend, a listener of the show, a friend of mine, Brad Blazek, got me snake pit passes. Oh, shit. And I was on the front rail in the snake pit for the first time in 17 years watching Metallica. I mean, I was like, I had a lump in my throat, you know? Yeah, for yeah, sure. So I think about stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, and being able to do cool stuff like, you know, talking to Ray Burton before he passed away. Cliff yeah, Burton's we became dad, friends like, with Ray. No yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah, he was our, what, 100th episode? 100th I think. episode, yeah. yeah. Pretty wild. So, and just getting to, you know, honestly, doing, doing I don't even call this really an interview, just like a hang like this, having people on the show like you, Jay Weinberg, Lizzie, and Joe have been on the show. That kind of stuff is really fun for me, just to sit back and just have a conversation with, with people that you, you know, or you're in this kind of in the same business as, you know. Well, and I'll tell you what really the best thing about the podcast is, is like the community of, this is going to sound pandering and bullshitty, but it's really true. Like, you know, we've made so many lifelong friends doing it, you know, like we have communities of people, you know, when we go on tour, we see podcast people almost every show. Mm-hmm. And we've even did that. Dude, when we were in Europe, we met up with podcast people even in Europe almost every show. Yeah, people, awesome. people all over the world who listen to the show and all that stuff. So that's a big takeaway for me. Like if we quit doing this next year, which we're not, but if we did, that's probably what I would even remember more than getting to talk to their guitar tech or something, which mm-hmm. was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, the people we've met through this, this show are we're going to, they're going to outlast the show itself. So they'll be around forever. Oh yeah. Well said boys. Well, until next time, everybody, that was Kurt Ozon. Uh, Berkeley School of Music graduate. Boston, Massachusetts. That's Boston, right. Massachusetts. He dated a girl from Bangor. That's right. And uh, we'll leave you with that note. Everyone take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. Go check out Luke Combs on tour. Morgan Wade's on tour. Take care of yourselves and your families. Peace. Adios. Adios. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here. And we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SNM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs. 
26 quarantine covers and Lunar Satan demos. Invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions. And eligibility for our Metal Tales series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>